Hello, my name is Jan C. Scruggs. I'm president and founder of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. I have a guest here today, famous in many ways, enormously successful as well in many ways. You know, he uh, wrote a book called McPaper about a newspaper known as USA Today, and he was the chief editor of that uh, newspaper and became uh, very well known. He also helped run a, a capital campaign raising over $400 million to build the museum, a beautiful uh, work of, of uh, education near the mall in Washington, DC. It ultimately closed. It couldn't quite, it didn't work exactly as planned, but uh, it helped a lot of people. Everyone I talked to who went there was very pleased at the focus on the media. And uh, he also helped the Jesuits. They had a, a little Peace Corps type uh, operation, which continues, and they help people in poor countries to, to get better, to do better. So uh, I would like to ask, begin, Mr. Peter Pritchard, by asking you, so what was it like being an, an English teacher in Micronesia? <laughs> well, <laughs> as I said, Jan, first, thank you for having me on your little podcast. And uh, I don't, uh, before I start, I want to just salute you for all you've done in your career and your amazing achievement in building the, the Vietnam War Memorial. Uh, I had just moved to Washington in 1982 with my family. And on that day, when the parade uh, came down Constitution, I guess it was, Constitution Avenue, I was on the curb with my wife and two young children. And uh, the people who were, uh, the Vietnam veterans who were there were organized by state. And I grew up in Northern Minnesota. Mm. And when the Minnesota contingent came by, there was a guy pushing a wheelchair, a big Norwegian guy with a big blonde beard. And it was a guy named Clark Dyrud, who was from my hometown of Thief River Falls, who'd got blown up in an APC yeah. in three core yeah. and his buddy had lost his legs in the same incident and clark was pushing that man's wheelchair yeah. and i jumped off the curb and joined the march all the way to the memorial yeah. and watched you dedicate the memorial and of course i my wife was uh, sort of stunned because we had parked the car blocks away there were no cell phones in those days and she didn't know where I was and uh, would I be reunited with the family. But eventually we made it back together. But I remember that day uh, very well. It was very moving. And uh, I want to salute you for all you did to make that happen, which was an astounding achievement. Yeah. But that said, my Vietnam story, I graduated from uh, Dartmouth College in 1966. And I was not particularly interested in going into the Army. I wasn't a big anti-war protester. I just was not interested in going. And uh, I didn't have strong feelings about the war, but uh, I wanted to get on with my career and so forth and so on. And in those days, you could get a deferment uh, to teach in high school. So I became an English teacher in Western Massachusetts, and I was terrible at it. I was a disaster as a teacher. I'd never had any training and uh, the kids uh, walked all over me, and uh, I really didn't know what I was doing. 
And uh, so uh, as the year progressed, Congress changed the rules for deferments. And they only offered a teaching deferment if you were teaching science. Uh. And so I lost my deferment. So I thought I got to do something to stay out of this war. So I applied to the Peace Corps. And one day uh, I went out to my mailbox in Amherst, Massachusetts, and there were two letters there. And I opened the, the one from the Peace Corps first, and it said, congratulations, Mr. Pritchard. We'd like to offer you a slot teaching English to uh, students in Micronesia. So, of course, images of, of uh, women in grass skirts uh, danced through my imagination. And I thought, what a wonderful deal. And then I opened the other letter, and it was from General Lewis B. Hershey, yes. who said, greetings, report for induction in New Haven, Connecticut on some date in July. And so, uh, uh, so I didn't know what to do because I'd received the letters on the same day. So I called the Peace Corps and explain the situation to them. And they said, uh, well, Mr. Pritchard, we're very sorry, but in these cases, the Defense Department takes precedence. Uh. And so uh, I said, okay, I'll follow the rules. I was always a rule follower. And so uh, I reported for, uh, for the draft, uh, went to intelligence school at, at Fort Halliburg, uh, went to Vietnam, served 13 and a half months in the Delta, I uh, was lucky I had a desk job. I was a REMF, as we all know, a REMF. <laughs> and uh, I was lucky. And, you know, we got mortared a few times and shot yeah. at on convoys. But uh, but uh, it was a relatively peaceful place. Yes. But while I was there, I bought a book in the PX written by Bernard Fall and read about the history of Vietnam. Yes. And that sort of changed my attitude toward the whole thing. Yes. Uh more people should have read that book before that we rushed in there with all these troops and so forth. But they have quite a history of repelling invaders. That's right. People who they look upon as invaders. We didn't think we were invading them. But uh, they, they, they made a short work of the Chinese uh, at one point. The Japanese, that gave them a very difficult time during World War II. And right. The Army was just whipped by these guys and they just ran out of patience. And Vietnam right. was kind of like getting into a fight with a porcupine. You can win, right. but you're going to pay too big of a price. So <laughs> that, That's right. Well, there was a great quote, Jan. You probably read it. Harry Summers used it in his book. And uh, he, he said that uh, he was at one of the peace talks, and he was talking to his counterpart. And he said to the Vietnamese general, you know, uh, you never defeated us on the battlefield. And the NVA and the Viet Cong never defeated us on the battlefield. And uh, the Vietnamese general thought for a moment and he said, uh, that may be true, but it's also irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was one of the best sentences to uh, sum up in a short way uh, uh, the tragedy of that war. Uh, it, it was a very sad episode in our history, I think. Well, I guess we've learned our lesson from Vietnam. We wouldn't have some stupid war someplace unless there was some real emergency, right? <laughs> well, when, as some people said uh, after the Afghan thing finally ended, when will we ever learn? I, I think that's right. Uh, you can't, you can't uh, police the entire world. And uh, as you said, uh, 
uh, when we were talking before the podcast started, uh, uh, you're not going to win people's hearts and minds with drone strikes. And, uh, uh, and there are some places where we probably just shouldn't get involved. And you have to be judicious uh, on what wars you choose to fight. And when you choose to fight one, I think, A, you should declare war, which we never did in Vietnam, and you should uh, uh, play the game to win. And the, and the country should be behind you. And if, and if that's not the case, we shouldn't be in that war. Sure. Yeah. And wars that take place on the other side of the world are there. That's a long supply chain. <laughs> that's the truth. That's the truth. And, you know, the whole thing was uh, uh, fairly messed up. I mean, the idea of the one year tour, I think, was not the greatest idea. I mean, I appreciated that I got out after 13 months, but uh, uh, that, that's not it doesn't win uh, lasting support either from the soldiers or the country. <clears throat> well, when I look at two trillion dollars spent in Afghanistan, I kind of wonder uh, what what did we do wrong? I mean, we're trying to stop them from having terrorist uh, activities in our country and in Europe. And we thought we could do that by having a muscular approach with a lot of troops and money. And uh, it just didn't work out right. So maybe we need to think of some other method uh, to get what we want. What, what do you think we ought to have done in, in a place like Afghanistan? Uh, you know, Afghanistan is a very difficult place to fight. Uh, and like Vietnam, lots of people have invaded it and lots of people have failed. But, uh, but uh, you know, I think the, the way you win those kinds of situations is through education, uh, example, um, probably uh, exchanges in some cases where you show people what the American way of life is like and what our system is like. It's not perfect, but it's still the best one in the world, uh, even with all our problems. And uh, uh, we need to work harder to show the world that. And uh, uh, I think we need to stand up for American ideals around the world. And uh, that doesn't mean necessarily fighting wars, uh, but to, uh, uh, I would quote, Teddy Roosevelt, and I think we should uh, speak softly but carry a big stick. And we taught those guys in Grenada that we have a big stick. <laughs> it was a nice war because they would have the invasion in the morning and have a nice lunch at a hotel. At, at, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the Marines have been on a lot of uh, little episodes like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in that area of, of the world, too. Haiti and other right. places, yeah. Right. So, uh, the museum was was such an incredible uh, venture, and uh, it did such a great job. But ultimately, I, I guess it sort of priced it. You really couldn't get. At what point were you done with your work at the museum? I'm just curious how. Well, I'm still on the board of the Freedom Forum, so I, I so it's okay. which is the principal funder of the museum. Yeah. And so, you know, since our work is is never done, but the, the museum was a great idea. It was very successful when in, at the first museum in sure. Roslyn, which was smaller and free. Right. And and, uh, you know, we uh, we got about more than a million visitors a year there and uh, uh, it, it was quite good. So we thought we could do something bigger and we were very ambitious. And so we built that great building 
uh, across from the Art National Art Gallery for $450 million or maybe even more than that. Yeah. And um, it was a, a, a visitor success. Visitors loved it. It was yes. named one of the best museums in the world. And uh, we had a great educational mission, but it was a commercial failure. We were never able to uh, uh, break even. And uh, as David Rubenstein told me once, it's hard to compete against free. And so you have all the Smithsonian's across the street, which are yeah. great museums too, and they're free. And yeah. we had to charge uh, uh, roughly $20 a person or a little more. And uh, uh, also, uh, although we got a lot of great support from media companies and raised uh, oh more than $135 million to build the building, uh, uh, the construction of the museum coincided with the decline of the traditional media uh, and the rise of yeah. the tech economy. Uh -huh. And so a lot of our funders were not in a position to continue to fund us uh, as the, after the museum was built. Uh -huh. And we, and we probably should have had a more organized, more aggressive fundraising campaign to begin with. But, yeah. you know, when we started, we had a billion dollars in our endowment. So we yeah. thought we could afford it. Yeah. And I think, and I think we, you know, we resisted uh, uh, having outside influence a little bit. We thought we could handle it all ourselves, which was maybe hubris. And, uh, you know, we, we probably should have uh, looked for more support in the beginning. And I think we should have probably made it smaller. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but you know, we were ambitious. And, uh, of course. And, we're all uh, about. We're Americans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? So uh, it's a good, it was a good example of an ambitious project that didn't work out uh, quite as we envisioned. But we we did a lot of good, and we we uh, reached uh, millions of people and and uh, showed them some of the best aspects of journalism. Yes, and uh, rah rah for the U.S. and USA Today. The famous well, USA you. Today that you shepherded to the top. But tell about your, your book, McPaper. That was a very good selling book and it paid off in many ways for you. It certainly brought, brought your credibility and uh, up and, and you progressed through the world of, of, uh, of the media empire that you were involved with. Well, uh, the chief executive and the founder of USA Today, Al Newarth, yes. asked me to write a book about it in the late 1980s. And uh, we we did it. We said we called it the making of McPaper mm -hmm. uh, inside story of USA Today. And uh, uh, I was lucky because uh, even though it was uh, a corporate sponsored book, I was working for Gannett when I when I wrote it. Um, I was allowed unfettered access to all the files and to all the executives who worked on it. And, uh, and Al Newarth had very thick skin. He could take criticism uh, and not complain about it. He believed in the First Amendment. Uh, you know, he believed that people have a right to their opinions. And, um, and uh, he wasn't uh, overly concerned if, if somebody was uh, critical of him. And so for that reason, the, even though it was a uh, a book sanctioned by the company, it got very good reviews uh, because we tried to just tell the truth uh, as we saw it. And it won some awards and it sold well. And uh, I enjoyed doing it. <clears throat> Can you explain to me where we are now with the media and the people 
how did we get to where we are? Well, you sort of dial your own ideology. You can flip on MSNBC and flip on Fox and sort of cancel out people you disagree with. I mean, how did we get to that point? Uh, well, it's a complete mess. Yes. And, uh, and uh, the, the traditional media had its weaknesses back in the, uh, in the latter part of the 20th century. Yeah. Uh, but it, was, it still offered uh, consumers a fairer, more accurate picture of the world than much of the media uh, offers consumers today. Yeah. And uh, what's happened is that a, a few large tech companies have basically taken almost all the advertising revenue. Mm, mm. I think that the, the tech companies on the world, you know, Google alone has, gets more than half the, uh, the uh, advertising dollars spent on the internet. And uh, I, I don't want to be a big critic of Google. My son works for them and uh, I'm happy that he does. Uh, but uh those big companies are getting the revenue and they're using the news that other people produce and they're not paying a fair price for that news. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the, the model that newspapers used for years of advertising support that allowed newspapers to have big staffs and allowed small towns to have good newspapers sure. uh, has collapsed. It's completely collapsed. And as a result uh, of the new technology, everybody's a journalist, everybody has an opinion, and uh, there's no common base of knowledge. Yeah. And that's a bad thing for democracy. Uh, you know, we need a common base of knowledge that we believe is true for a democracy to function well. And today we don't have that, unfortunately. And you have a good example, too, of the media reaching, the traditional so-called mainstream media reaching for a story and then go, getting it wrong. The Washington Post just this week has published a series of corrections of their coverage of the Russian dossier, which was a complete invention by the political opponents of Trump. And, uh, uh, you know, and I'm sure some illegal things were probably done. And the, the mainstream media, much of it, bought the whole story lock, stock, and barrel. Uh, and uh, that was a huge, huge journalistic error. And I think, in part, the error was made because the, the media don't know how to compete in this new high-tech world. And also, there wasn't enough uh, oversight by editors, in my opinion. But, yeah. but, that, but these that's, good, these editors that's aren't the sad there. thing. Yeah. The Washington Post was, I mean, they were pretty close to going out of business until Jeff Bezos bought it. Right, so right. Thinking if it's breaking even now or not. Well, I think it's breaking even. They, they might make a small profit, but but if they weren't backed by a billionaire, they, they wouldn't be as viable as they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, there are news deserts across the country now. Uh, like where I live in Connecticut, it's yeah. it's hard to get a balanced report on all the news that happens here you just it's just not as good there used to be many great newspapers here yeah well yeah connecticut sure here in annapolis we had our little local newspaper yeah yeah uh, but now it's been absorbed into the baltimore sun and we don't right. get much of what we had anymore 
and, no, and that no. replicating itself nationwide. And yeah, and it's uh, it's not it's not good. Yeah, and I don't know what the answer is. I mean, uh, there's not going to be any easy answer. I think eventually uh, some independent media organizations will evolve, and maybe we'll get uh, broader, fairer, more accurate coverage. But it's good. It's going to take time. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know, it, it. I think it's going to take some changes to the to the models the tech companies use too. And of course, you're hearing about that in Congress from time to time now. I'm not sure the regulation will work uh, because there's a long history of government regulation not working. But uh, I do think that they're they're awfully powerful. And in some areas, they're too powerful. Well, back to Vietnam, briefly anyway, I just want to point out that in the year 2000, I started a project called Project Renew to get rid of landmines and to save yeah. people from getting wounded. It was yep. very successful. and uh, Great, great thing. Yeah, it's a fun, uh, it's a lovely country to go for a vacation because yep. uh, they have miles after miles of beaches. It is just a fantastic place with nice I people. used to think when I was riding up through those convoys, I said, wow, this is a beautiful place. <laughs> uh, we could just get rid of all the guns. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. It's some of the best golf courses I've ever played played on oh, Vietnam yeah is that right yeah, yeah. Oh, and I, I actually played one one game of golf and the caddy he admitted to me that he had been a member of the Viet Cong <laughs> no, of course they all were well the closest Hell I better. ever got was when I when I found out Mac V had a golf course in Saigon that was the closest I ever got to playing golf however mm. I did to get get to play tennis almost every day in the Delta Oh, fantastic. And, and we had a commanding general who would arrive by helicopter and he wanted a tennis game at noon every day. And so uh, <laughs> it's, it's several times we got to play with him. He was sort of a sore loser. He only wanted to win. Oh, yeah. I, I can relate to that. <laughs> there are certainly people out there. In closing, I want to try to find something upbeat and positive. And what have you learned from your your Catholic faith and, and other influences that have helped you become successful and live a good life and do good things? Well, you know, I think that uh, Catholics learn that uh, uh, we're all sinners. We're all striving to be better human beings. Uh, no human being is really better than any other human being. And we ought to have respect for, for all people and their points of view and work together for common ground. And uh, thank God for all the blessings we have. And particularly as Americans, what wonderful blessings we have. I mean, we have freedom. Uh, we have the First Amendment. We can say what we want to say. Yeah. We can have the career we want to have. Uh, we don't have any kind of overbearing uh, dictatorship that uh, uh, imprisons and cancels its people. And so despite all of our problems, uh, because of, of our system and the First Amendment that protects our freedom to speak, our freedom of religion, uh, we're actually in a pretty good place. And uh, we ought to understand that and be thankful. That's very inspiring, Peter. And I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here in the United States until I die. I'm very proud to be an American. And uh, very happy to have had uh, uh, many uh, wonderful meetings with you. You helped us a lot with the 
uh, 10th anniversary and the 25th anniversary of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. You, you had uh, helped us get a uh, very famous people to look at important and uh, issues. And uh, so thank you again. And uh, we will let you know when this airs. Thank you very much. Th th thank you very much, Jen. Uh, just as an aside, I'm writing a mystery novel set in Vietnam. Ah. If you're interested, I'll send you a couple chapters. You can write me a blurb. I'm ready. Yeah. All right. Okay, good. <laughs> you never stop working. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Good work. Thank you. Thank you, Jan. Have a great day. Great. Bye.